It's a beautiful day out there. Sunshine, blue sky, gentle breeze from the west. 46 Fahrenheit, which is 8 centigrade. I thought I'd turn it round for a change. 81% humidity, 1026 millibars. Just before we start, Mark, lovely to hear from you, Mark from Ireland. Talking about Arundel Castle. Is it Arundel, Arundel? How is it pronounced? Well, it's on the River Arran. So I've always called it Arundel. It is A-R-U-N-D-E-L, Arundel. So presumably it's something to do with Arran the river and then Dell the town. What, what does Dell mean? Probably some old English something, war meaning something that I have no idea. Anyway, there we are, Arundel. River Arran, Arundel Castle. Right, lovely to hear from you all. Thank you for all your emails and messages. Let's move on. I have an email from someone called Anon. That's the email address, Anon whatever, at something or other. So hello, Anon. Nice to hear from you. Strange name, but there we are. Now, Anon says that he or she is in their 20s, and perhaps I should say they. No, I mustn't go into that. Now, basically, this is the upshot of the, the email. Why do older people go on about when I was a boy... The email says, Ray, you're an old man. Thank you very much. You've obviously read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You're an old man. <laughs> I like it. Right, moving on. Why do you keep on about the old days? Why do you want to go back to the old days? And whoever Anon is says, so many people say, oh, it was much better in my day. When I was a boy, when I was a girl, all this stuff. Why is it that they go on and on about the old days? Anon added that us youngsters don't do that. Well, no, you don't, do you? Because you haven't got any old days. <laughs> Think about it. I am now in my 70s. My teenage years were the 60s. My pre-teen years were the 50s. I've got something to compare, haven't I? The old days and the good days. You, in your teens or 20s, you've got nothing to compare, have you? You can't look back and think what it was like in the old days. Teenagers now, well, they don't even remember the 1900s. They weren't there. They don't remember the last century at all because they weren't there. I think when the teenagers of today get old in decades to come, will they look back and say, oh, when I was a boy, when I was a girl, we had this. We didn't have that. We had this and that. I think if we looked into it, we'd find that every generation is the same. I remember old people when I was in my teens and pre-teens even. I remember old people saying, oh, you know, when I was young, we didn't do this. We did that. As no doubt the teenagers of today will be saying in, I don't know, 60 years time, oh, when I was a boy. It's interesting though, isn't it? Another point that is interesting that Anon came up with they, I have to call them they, <laughs> they said all this stuff about the old days, oh, this was much better, that was much better, life was so much better. Is there anything that is better these days? That's the question, basically, from the whole email. Is there anything that's better now than it was then? Well, yes, obviously, there's a lot of things. Cars are more reliable. They're horrible. Grey plastic dashboards. I'll check that out in a minute. They're horrible, the cars of today, but they're far more reliable. They're far more reliable. None of our cars have ever broken down. We had a puncture, of course, that's different. Televisions these days, far more reliable. How often does your telly go wrong? In the 60s, when I was repairing tellies, in the workshop there, the radio and TV workshop, we were inundated with work. Outside engineers, they were out there fixing tellies, the ones they couldn't do outside, they bought into the workshop. We were just kept constantly busy all the time repairing tellies. Tellies don't go wrong now, so tellies are better. Weather forecasts are more accurate, or are they? <laughs> I don't think they are, actually. But you know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff these days that's a lot better. For example, back then we didn't have central heating. We had a coal fire. The trains these days, they're warm in the winter. They're quieter. They're far more comfortable. They're faster. I still prefer the old trains, the old steam engine. 
steam-driven trains. Oh, they were fantastic. But of course, we can't have those now. I mean, they were completely inefficient. I think they were something like 60% efficient. So the energy you put in, you know, the coal you're putting in, you only got about 60% of the energy out or something like that anyway. So the trains are better. The buses are better. They're comfortable. Not that I go on buses because they're full of covid (laughs) <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I said that the other day at our club and someone said, no, they're not. I said, they are. Everything you touch, the, the rails, the handles, whatever you touch, other people have touched them. And then if you do what I do regularly, I'm always touching my face. I did it just then. I shouldn't do that because, you know, you touch a handrail, a door handle, then touch your face. You've got COVID. Someone else might have sneezed in their hand, touched the, the handle, then you touch it and wipe it on your mouth. Anyway, let's move on from that. So, yes, you do get COVID from buses. (laughs) So, anyway, going back to the the point in question. Yes, there are a lot of things that are a lot better today. I just heard on the television that in Ireland, because of all the storms we've had, there were some power lines down, not the huge national grid ones, smaller ones to villages or whatever. The power lines had come down. Trees had gone through the power lines, broken them, blah, blah, blah. So the electricity board apparently came along and they want to cut the trees up, obviously, to untangle the power lines and do all their work to get people back with electricity. They're not allowed to cut the trees up. The Forestry Commission people have to do that. Right, that's simple then. No, it's not simple. They're on strike. (laughs) And the news chat was saying, this is ridiculous. There's the electricity people there waiting to repair the lines. The trees in the way, they're not allowed to touch the tree because the Forestry Commission, they're on strike. I don't know what the outcome of that is. Many years ago when I worked on boats, I did the radar and echo sounders and all that stuff on on boat yachts, really, millionaires' yachts. Some of those people were quite nice, others were not at all nice. Anyway, I'm on this bloke's yacht sorry, this customer's yacht, and I had to cut a square hole. It was in a a panel which was up on the the bridge or the wheelhouse or whatever. That's the bridge, isn't it? (laughs) And I started to drill a hole, and this chap who was on board, I think he was the engineer or something, he said, no, you can't do that. And I said, no, no, it's all right, I'm fitting so-and-so. And he said, no, 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 don't touch any woodwork, don't do woodwork, that's down to the chippies. He said, if you do that, they'll all walk out. It was a, like a, a high, it was Southampton where I was working, Southampton Harbour or whatever it's called. Anyway, I had to wait two hours for a chippy to turn up to make this square hole in this wooden panel so I could then fit whatever electronic thing I was fitting. And I thought then, I said to the engineer chap, surely I can make a hole, no one will know. He said, I know, but if someone finds out, that's it. He said, they'll all be out. <laughs> I don't know, have things changed? Obviously not, but certainly not over there in Ireland where the trees come down on the power lines. I do understand what it's all about. You know, you can't have one man doing another man's job and all that. But uh, in some cases, well, especially with the power lines, it it does seem a bit daft, doesn't it? People want their electricity back on. And they can't because the forestry people are on strike. Anyway, there we are. Is that better than the old days? I think it's the same as the old days. By the way, that news alert earlier was just some rubbish, probably hoax or fake news or something. Linda just had an email from Linda. Lovely to hear from you. As a kid, she liked on the telly Tomorrow's People, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet. How? Do you remember that? That was with Jack Hargreaves. How? Do you remember that? Doctor Who. Jasper Carrot was her favourite. Dave Allen. I liked Dave Allen. He was good. Linda says that uh, we got rid of our TV years ago. Nothing worth watching and no radio. Well, that's the answer, isn't it? Rather than do what I do, moan continually that there's nothing on the telly, the telly's all rubbish, get rid of the damn thing. Good thinking, Linda, I like that. Of course, not all TV programmes were good back then, not all radio was good. You know, there's bound to be bad things now and then. You can't have good things all the time. But I do say that TV was (laughs) better in those days. Well, we have one or two channels. Imagine the kids today. I was talking some time ago now to the grandchildren. Grandad, you didn't have a mobile phone. What did you do? 
People didn't have a landline at home. What did they do? How did they phone people? Well, they didn't. You didn't have central heating. You had one channel on the telly. Yes, in the 1950s, one channel, then two channels. In the 60s, real high tech, we had three channels. Grandad, you only had three channels. No, you're joking. You're making it up. No, I'm not. I've had all these conversations with the grandkids. It's strange telling the grandkids, what were they, about 10, 11, 12 years old when I was telling them this. So it's a few years back. But it's strange, their faces, you you didn't have a landline or a mobile phone. Well, how did you talk to people? Well, we went and knocked on their door and said hello. <laughs> Instead of sitting in our bedroom, using our thumbs to type things and whatever else they do. Happy days. I don't know why I've called this episode a letter from England. I mean, it's not really a letter from England, is it? It's just me rambling as usual. <laughs> I think the original letter from America, the Alastair Cook one that I keep banging on about, I think that was, as he read it, it was sort of in letter form, where he'd say, oh, I, I went to the local town hall the other day, perhaps in New York he went somewhere, and this happened and that happened. He's telling it more as if he is reading a letter to you, whereas mine is more as if I have no idea what I'm talking about, and I'm just rambling for the sake of it. No, no, no. Who was it that said that the other day? Uh, Brian. Hello, Brian. He said, ramble on. He said, you're not rambling for the sake of it. I love your rambles and your rants, so I shall continue. Brian said, don't give up. I won't give up. How can I give up, Brian? I'd have no one to talk to. Trisha doesn't listen to me. <laughs> yes, she does. I shouldn't say that. She might be listening. I went into a shop the other day. Shock horror. First time in about 20 years. Well, probably not that long. And I went into this shop. It was a, what they call a news agent, was it? Or a convenience store. Used to be a sweet shop or, or whatever. They, I don't know what they call them these days. A corner shop. And I went in there and this chap said, yes, mate. <laughs> I thought, well, that's nice. Yes, mate. So I bought what I wanted and he did say, oh, cheers, as I walked out. So he was all right. But yes, mate. In the old days, it was, good morning. How can I help you? Good afternoon. Yes, sir. How can I help you? Yes, madam. Well, they didn't call me madam. <laughs> Things have changed, haven't they? The English language has changed. I better not go into that. All the good old words that I remember have totally changed. Used to take our tranny down the beach. Tranny, transistor radio. And have a gay old time. Right, let's move on before I get to... What was it? The European Convention of Human Rights. That's right, they'll be on to me if I start talking about taking my tranny down to the beach. I do remember in the summer back in, or in the 60s, Going down to the beach, lovely sunny afternoon at the weekend, everyone's taken their transistor radio with them. Luckily, the majority were listening to either Radio London or Radio Caroline, the pirate stations. So it wasn't too bad, because there's nothing worse than people having radios on, perhaps at home in different rooms, and you can hear a telly in that room, a radio in that room, and something else in that room all at once, which brings me on nicely to this thing about people all talking over each other. There is a, did I mention this before? There's a condition, a medical condition, which I think I've got, I forget what it's called, I must look it up, where your ears are really sensitive. Now, I know people of my age, they're wearing hearing aids now. And people have said to me, oh, your, your ears are all right. Oh, you don't have hearing aids. Can you hear all right? I can hear too well. I can hear a pin drop at 20 miles. Or is it 20 paces? My ears are too sensitive. I've got ringing in my right ear all the time. Tinnitus, is it, or something daft? But I just ignore that. It's not too bad, so I can ignore it. But I can't cope. My brain, I was reading about this, my brain can't cope with three or four people all talking at once, all shouting over each other at once. I just can't do it. I have to switch off totally. Trisha can zone in to one woman or another man or that one there, she can kind of tune in to just one of them and tune the others out somehow. I can't. To my brain, it's just a constant noise and I have to leave the room and go and sit in the woods on my own. <laughs> I was listening to one of my amateur radio uh, gear the other day. This, this couple were talking on there, a couple of people having a chat and they were talking about their ailments. I was going to join in when I first tuned into them, came across them. I thought, oh, I'll, uh, I'll join in, have a chat. 
One was going on about his his leg, about how he'd had, uh, an, was it an abscess or an ulcer or something? He's going into graphic detail about his leg. The other chap was going on about his his well, his hip and also his bladder problems. And I thought, yeah, what is going on here? Amateur radio, it's meant to be discussing radios and aerials. So many people, when they get to my age and older, they start, what's that? That's an aircraft sign, isn't it? Uh, Seatbelts on, put your seatbelts on, no smoking. Those were the days, weren't they? Smoking on the aeroplane. But so many people talk about their ailments as they get older. And it's so boring. If you're listening, you're not in the conversation and you're listening, as I do, to the amateur, you know, the ham radio people. Oh, I went to the doctor and he said this. I've got to have an x-ray and I'm taking these pills and I'm not sure they're good for me. I, I get dizzy when I take the pill. Oh, you shouldn't take those. Goodness me, it's so, it's so it's like listening to other people's telephone conversations. I mean, you just wouldn't want to, would you? I don't tell people about my ills and ailments. Well, I don't have any, apart from my tinnitus in my ear, or my knee, my knee hurt, or oh, my back. You know, this is my, did I tell you all about my back? Oh, it's been awful of late. No, it hasn't. I don't have ailments, and if I did, I wouldn't tell people all about it, because no one's interested, are they? Who wants to hear about my bad knee? They've got their own bad knees to worry about, <laughs> let alone mine. What I have got is a dry throat from rabbiting too much. <clears throat> Getting dreadful. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea. Why don't you do the same and I'll see you in a minute. Just go, going back to Linda's email for a minute. Linda, that joke, I can't tell it on here, but I keep thinking about that. It's brilliant. It's about Yorkie bars. Do you remember the old Yorkie bar back in the day? Uh, they were the adverts were not for girls or something, which of course they wouldn't get away with these days. And this girl got a a lift in a lorry driver's uh, cab, and this, anyway, I, <laughs> Linda, what are you like? I was shocked. I was truly shocked. Of course, I wasn't. Yes, if you've got any more jokes like that, Linda, send them along. Fantastic. Ian says that geese honk. Do you know I was asking what? Do you remember that? What geese do? They don't shriek or whatever. Thanks for that, Ian. They honk. And thanks for your other suggestion about what we should call the midweek message, a change of name. Good idea, Ian, but I think we'll stick to the one we've got. Honk, honk. I mentioned steam engines, uh, didn't I, earlier? 60% efficient. Do you know, I think, I might be wrong, I think it's 40% efficient. No doubt someone will correct me on that. Raise rants at protonmail.com talking of letters from England, as I've entitled this episode. Have you heard about our Royal Mail? Apparently they're having troubles, and the idea, or one of the ideas that could happen is deliveries, mail deliveries, only three days a week. That's ridiculous. You're waiting for a letter perhaps from the hospital or the doctor or whatever you're waiting for. Could be important from a solicitor. And three deliveries a week. There used to be I'm going back a hundred years, admittedly. There used to be four deliveries every day, morning, lunchtime, afternoon, evening, up to nine o'clock at night you would get post. Four every day, and now they're considering three deliveries every week. What has happened? Someone on the TV was saying, well, we only get three deliveries a week at the moment, so how can they cut down to three? I don't know what's happening. Everything seems to be falling apart in the UK, in Britain. Rather than progress, improving things, such as mail, if it was four deliveries a day, perhaps there should be five these days. <laughs> I suppose that would be impossible. But you see the point, it's getting worse rather than better. It was better a hundred years ago. I can see the time coming when there are no letter deliveries. I don't know what will happen. But I think Royal Mail are already losing big time to people like Amazon Prime deliveries. Uh, what is it? Every, Hermes, Yodel, all these delivery people. A lot of them are next day. I know some of them are pretty poor. You know, you see videos on Twitter and whatever of parcels being chucked into the back of a van. Parcels being mistreated. <laughs> I know that happens. But I think Royal Mail are just losing out left, right and centre. It's such a shame. Well, like the BBC, the Royal Mail was world-renowned, you know, fantastic. 
brilliant setup, absolutely efficient. And you post a letter and the recipient might even get it the same day if it's local. I have heard that that used to happen, obviously, before my time. And the first and second class mail that we have now, people again are saying they don't bother to pay a first class stamp to get it there faster because it doesn't get it there faster. So you might as well pay less for second class stamp. It, the whole system has, I don't know, it's just all gone wrong. I don't like talking Britain down as so many MPs do. Oh, Britain's a waste of space now. Britain's gone to the dogs. The country's in ruins. I don't like talking the country down. But the truth has to be told. The BBC were world-renowned for their shortwave service, the BBC World Service. All around the world, people listened to it. They admired it. They trusted the BBC. That's all gone. No one trusts the BBC now. Our railways in the past were world-renowned. We had the best railway system in the entire world going back well, many decades. Half the lines have gone now, half the trains have gone, they're cancelled, they're late, they're on strike. It's awful. They break down, the whole thing's fallen apart. Again, I don't want to talk down Britain or our industry or anything like that, but it has to be said that the railway these days, according to the passengers that are interviewed on the telly and in various news outlets, according to the passengers, the railway system is a waste of time. Buses these days aren't particularly reliable. Not their fault, it's the traffic on the roads. The road works, goodness knows what. It just holds them up. It's no good saying, oh, well, the bus will arrive at this particular bus stop at 10.43. You can't say that. There's traffic jams, road works, all sorts of gridlock stuff going on. How can you say that any vehicle will be at a certain point at a certain time? You can't. So that's all fallen apart. Of course, going back to the post, people will say, oh, yes, but back then there were fewer people, far fewer letters. They could easily do four deliveries to your house every day. Well, surely these days there are more people, more letters. They're taking more money. I mean, the price of the stamps are just atrocious these days. Or is it now that people are emailing and not writing letters? If this was a letter from England to America or Australia or wherever, would you even get it if I posted it? <laughs> a letter from England. We had two or three Christmas cards from people. Well, we didn't. That was the point. They sent them and we didn't get them. There are parcels that go astray regularly. I don't know where they all end up. They must go somewhere to some warehouse. Lady on the telly the other day said she sent a hamper, a food hamper to someone as a Christmas present. Never did turn up. Lost somewhere in the post. It's hopeless, isn't it? It just shouldn't be like that. Again, I don't know how true this is, but there's a suggestion now that to be a taxi driver in London, you don't have to speak English. Well, how are you going to say to the chap, I want to go to Marylebone Station. I want to go to St Paul's Cathedral. If the driver can't speak or understand English, I, what is happening there? It's, it's daft. It's daft. The whole world's gone mad. My cousin, one of my cousins, was a taxi driver in London for many years. I remember when he was studying for it, you had to have the knowledge. They call it the knowledge. And that is a, a test, from what I understand. You have to know so many places in London. I want to go here. I want to go there. Victoria Station, Marble Arch, the Tate Gallery. You've got to know all these places. And this was before Satnav. And how to get there, the quickest route. It was known as the knowledge. These days, it seems anyone can be a taxi driver, whether they know London or not, or whether they can speak English or not. Anyway, there we are. Let's move on to something a little more cheerful, shall we? I was asked the other day by a friend, younger than me, in your time, Ray, because, again, because you're an old man, do you remember people drinking at home in your day? Did you drink at home in your day? Uh, when I first got married, I don't think we had drink at home. I don't think we had beer or anything, wine at home. If we had a few people round, we might get some beers in and a bottle of wine, where normally people would bring their own. If you're having a party, you'd say, bring a bottle. And then people would bring whatever it was that they wanted to drink. But I don't remember ever just sitting at home, the two of us, and having a drink. A cup of tea, a cup of coffee, but I don't think we had beer in the fridge or wine or anything like that. 
Having said that, to quote a, a very lovely elderly lady, recollections may vary. <laughs> I've just been pondering on that question. We've got now what we call our drinks cupboard. It's full of vodka, gin, beer, goodness knows what, you name it, we've got it. And we've got a beer fridge, of course, which is full up with not only beer, but Coke, Fanta, 7-Up, all these other soft drinks. But they really only ever come out at the weekend and not always then. So the thing is, if we've got people coming round, they will turn up on a perhaps a Saturday afternoon or we're having something on Sunday in the summer. We're all in the garden late afternoon. Then we might open the drinks cabinet. But apart from that, it stays closed. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about stories and, and how some of you like the stories. Well, I've heard from quite a few of you. Yes, we love the tales from the past. So I thought you might like this one. It's back in the early 70s, summer, lovely summer evening, about eight o'clock, walking home along the seafront. I rented a small flat. This is, well, I was in my early 20s, pre-marital stuff and all that. Walking home along the seafront, lovely evening. The sea was beautiful, blue sky. Anyway, that's all <laughs> beside the point. And a girl was sitting on a bench and she said, excuse me, you couldn't spare a cigarette, could you? I went over to her and said, yes, of course. We all smoked back then, naughty though it was, I know, awful. We all smoked. As I approached her, I gave her the cigarette and lit it. I noticed that she was, her hair was greasy. It looked like it hadn't been washed recently. She had on jeans and a kind of blouse type top and a jacket. Her jeans and her blouse shirt type top, they were grubby. Well, they were dirty, to be honest. Her face was a bit grubby, her hands weren't clean. So I gave her the cigarette and she said, you couldn't spare a couple more possibly, could you, for later? I said, if you come back with me to my place, it's only up the road. I said, I've got several packets, you can have a packet of cigarettes. Oh no, she said, no, no, it's all right. She said, I'll, I'll stay here. So I said, well, I'm going past the fish and chip shop on the way back, if you want to join me for fish and chips. Her eyes lit up at the mention of food. And then she frowned. I haven't got any money, she said. That's all right, I've got plenty of money. Come on, I've got money and cigarettes. Come back with me. It was pretty obvious that she had no nowhere to go, no home to go to. So I was quite happy to give her fish and chips and a packet of cigarettes, anything to help out. We left the fish and chip shop. I think it was cod and chips we both had. I liked cod back then. I don't like fish anymore. It's horrible. It's too fishy for my liking. But we left with our cod and chips wrapped up in paper. And she said, look, I don't want the cigarettes. I'll go back to the beach and eat mine. And I said, oh, come on, it, it's only up the road. You know, come back with me, have some cigarettes. We'll have a cup of tea and a piece of bread with the fish and chips. Yes, but I don't know you, she said. She was obviously wondering, wary of my intentions, which is fair enough. You know, a young chap in his 20s. She was in her 20s, early 20s. She probably wondered what I had in mind. Anyway, she followed me back. She followed me home, clutching her fish and chips. And, her, oh, she had a duffel bag. Do you remember the old duffel bags? She had one of those with her. And we got to my, my flat, which was only small. Anyway, it was good enough for me. It was a temporary place where I was living. I won't go into that. We went into the kitchen. I got the plates out, made a cup of tea, a couple of bits of bread and butter. And she was, honestly... Her food disappeared within minutes. She obviously hadn't eaten properly for some time. We finished our food and went into the lounge and uh, both had a cigarette. She said that uh, she'd argued with her mother and her mother had thrown her out and she had nowhere to stay. And I said, well, what about friends? Oh, I can't tell friends. She was very well spoken, very well educated. I could tell that intelligent young lady. And she was very attractive as well, apart from she was very grubby. And she was saying she couldn't possibly go to her friends because it was embarrassing. So she'd been sleeping on the seafront on this bench. And I said, look, there's the sofa here. If you want to kip on the sofa, that, that's fine by me. I don't have a spare bedroom. I've only got the one bedroom. And she said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And as the evening went on, you know, we were chatting and she said, well, would you mind if I stayed just for tonight? I said, no, that's fine. That is fine. And I said, if you want to use the bathroom, it's through there. And she knew what I meant. She said, I, I could actually do with a bath. So I said, yeah, fine. I said, you go and help yourself. What I did, I got her a, a dressing gown that I had, a pair of shorts and an old shirt of mine. 
And I said, if you want to put these on, go in the bathroom and change. I said, you can bung your clothes in the washing machine. It was an old, it was a part of the furnished flat, this uh, old Indeset washing machine. Do you remember those? They were Italian, I think. Indeset automatic washing machine. It worked all right. It was, it was a bit sort of cheap and nasty, but it did work. So she put her stuff in there, went and had a bath. When she came out in the dressing gown and the shorts, she put the washing out on the line. I had a small yard and it was a lovely summer evening. I said, if you hang your jeans and stuff there, it's going to be dry by the morning. It was a nice warm night. And later that evening, she slept on the sofa and I went to my room. Her clothes were just about dry in the morning. And I showed her where the iron was and ironing board and she's drying them off with the iron. The jeans had a little bit of damp here and there. And then she got dressed. We had breakfast. It was Sunday, so I had no work to worry about. We had quite an enjoyable day together. She told me a little bit more about her. Her mum and dad were very well off. They were very well moneyed, as they say, moneyed people. Apparently her dad had been caught having an affair and her mum had thrown him out, all sorts of disputes and arguments. I won't go into all that now. I haven't told you her name. Obviously, I'm not going to give you her real name. Let's call her Paula. So then Paula argued with her mum. She got thrown out, an absolute disaster. But she'd had an extremely good education and, as I said, very well spoken, but she'd never had a job in her life. Now, bear in mind, she's early 20s. She'd never worked. Well, why go to work? when daddy is loaded. <laughs> so here she was all of a sudden out on the street. No money, nothing. Reminds me of that Bob Dylan record. What was that? Like a rolling stone, wasn't it? Uh, what are the lyrics to that? Once upon a time you dress so fine. Something about you've gone to the finest school, but nobody's uh, taught you how to live on the street. Do you know that one? How does it feel to be on your own with no direction home? A complete unknown like a rolling stone. I remember the lyrics. That's clever, isn't it? No, it's not. You're saying you probably looked it up on the... I didn't look it up. I just remembered the lyrics because I, I particularly like those lyrics. Anyway, let's get back to Paula. Rather than take up the rest of the hour with Paula's story, very briefly, Sunday evening, we'd had the day together, enjoyed some lunch. She wanted a job. She said, I've got to get some money. A friend of mine owned a hotel well his parents owned a hotel it wasn't a huge one but uh, quite a nice hotel quite successful his parents had gone to live in Spain and left him to run the hotel I don't quite know what the story was there he never did say so I took Paula there the bar was only open to residents not the public but he was a friend of mine so I could go in ah, and have a beer and he'd mentioned to me a few days previously about wanting bar staff so I said meet Paula. She's looking for a job. And she looked at me and sort of bar staff. And he said, have you ever worked behind a bar? And she said, no, I haven't. I didn't tell him that she'd never worked anywhere. <laughs> and he said, well, if, if you're willing to learn, uh, you know, do you want a job? Here it is. And she looked at me and I'm nodding. Yes, yes, go on, do it. So she said, oh, okay. She had to have some money. She said, okay, when do I start? And he said, you can start now if you want to. And she went round the other side of the bar. He showed her the ropes. He said that he'd pay her cash in hand. A bit naughty if there's any HMRC people with any inland revenue tax men chasing after Paula <laughs> or the hotel chap. I'm going back decades. Anyway, he paid her cash in hand after every shift. That was the deal. At the end of the evening, she came back to my place and she had some money, a little bit of money. The following day she went to work there and in fact she got on really well. After a week, she was still with me, after a week she came in one evening and she said, I've been promoted, I'm now on reception. Because as I keep saying, she was very well spoken, well educated and intelligent. So you can't always judge a book by its cover, can you? When I looked at her on the seafront I thought, good grief, what's this waif and stray? Complete opposite. So she worked in reception for a couple more weeks. She was still on my sofa. She was paying her way, not rent, but food. You know, she was paying her fair share of the food. She bought some clothes. She'd gone into town and bought this and that. And we were coming up to a month that she'd been with me on my sofa. And she said, look, I can't stay anymore. I said, well, where are you going to go? She said, I've been promoted again. 
I'm now assistant manager, I think, whatever she called it. Even more money, but the chap that ran the hotel, this mate of mine, he had a very small room, not one that he could sort of let out as a hotel room. It was too small, but there was a bed in there, a basin, and uh, it was a nice little room. He said, so you can have that if you want, you know, free of charge. You can live in, save sleeping on Ray's sofa. So she moved into the hotel. I remained friends with her for some years. She'd eventually made it up with her mother and they were talking, but she didn't go back home. And she ended up as uh, quite a successful businesswoman. I won't go into the business because I don't want to obviously give her identity away, but she became very successful. So that's a lovely little tale, isn't it? A nice little story to get away from trains on strike and everything falling apart in Britain. Even the NHS. I love the NHS, the National Health Service. They saved my life when I was 14, so I'll be forever indebted to them. Brilliant. The nurses, the staff, the doctors, they're all brilliant people. It's the management that seems to be up the wall. But I would never knock the National Health Service. It's brilliant. It's just got so big with so many patients. They're on about the waiting list time now is years and all this stuff. It's not the nurses' fault. It's not the doctors' fault. They're working flat out. In fact, we've got three nurses in our family and they've all said that they just work solidly. Not even time sometimes for a cup of tea. Not even time for a break for something to eat. They have to pay to park in the car park. Can you imagine that? The nurses and doctors have to pay to park their car to go to work at the hospital. Anyway, that's a rant for another day. Or have I already done that? I think I've already moaned about that probably several times over the past five years. <laughs> Happy days. Do you know, we've got beautiful sunshine here. So I've got a little audio clip for you. Here we go. I've just come out into the garden, 18 degrees centigrade, 18 degrees. It's a beautiful day. There's hardly any wind. I'm under the patio roof. So the temperature is a little bit more than it would be down the end of the garden. There's the seagulls, 18 degrees. This is more like it. This is what I've been waiting for. The lawn needs cutting. The grass is fairly long. There's birds everywhere, blue sky, a little breeze. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Do you know, I might even get a chair out here later. I can hear birds sing. I can hear our... That's a great tit, that one that goes... You know the one, a great tit? He's somewhere in the distance, chirping away. It's all looking rather nice. It certainly is rather nice. I'm back indoors now in the high-tech recording studio, <laughs> watching the flag, a little bit of a breeze from the west. Rob, down under in Australia there. G'day, Cobber. How are you doing? I've just had your email. And you say, can I just clarify, BBC Radio 1, 2, 3 and 4. BBC Radio 4 is on long wave, 198 kilohertz. And that used to be the BBC Home Service, which was on medium wave in loads of places. There were different regions and all that, transmitters everywhere. So Radio 4 was the home service. BBC Radio 2 used to be the BBC Light programme, Light being light entertainment, and that was on medium wave in various spots. BBC Radio 3 used to be the third programme, and that's all classical music. That used to be on medium wave. That's now only on VHF FM. What's left? Oh yes, Radio 1, which was supposed to be replacing the pirate radio stations back in the 60s when Tony Blackburn opened Radio 1 with, what is it, uh, that one by the move, I don't know, woke up one morning half asleep and something, I can't remember what it's called, you're all shouting aren't you, I know what it is, anyway that record and it was alright with Tony Blackburn but it was nothing like the pirate radio stations so Radio 1 didn't actually exist, that was a new thing, I think it was 247 metres medium wave so that, that was the four BBC stations. And then, of course, we had Radio Luxembourg, Fab 208, Radio London, Radio Caroline, Swinging Radio England. I won't go on. What have we got now? Rubbish. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Just had a news flash here on my iPad. Charles Dickens subjected to woke takeover as a Christmas carol remade with Scrooge 
as Indian Tory who hates refugees. Stone the crows, whatever next? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the world. It's all gone. What's that old expression? Topsy turvy or something, or mental? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, not happy days. I like Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens. I think I've told you every Christmas we watch about five or six different makes of the thing. And I like the one, I, I know I've told you before, but I love it, where he goes into the pub, the inn or whatever, and he's having soup. And he says to the waiter, more bread. The waiter says, another halfpenny, sir. No more bread. <laughs> Scrooge won't even spend the halfpenny for more bread. They said the other day on the telly, which coin no which bird was on the farthing do you remember the farthings and i'm shouting out a robin a robin a robin of course it's not a robin you know what it was don't you it was a wren and even trish said she's younger than me she said it wasn't a robin it was a wren okay well it looked like a robin anyway i liked the farthings and the halfpennies when i was a kid and the pennies because blackjacks were four for a penny and you could go in with a farthing i did i found a farthing on the pavement outside the sweet shop and I went in one blackjack please and passed the lady the farthing she laughed and I got my blackjack <laughs> no more blackjacks oh they were good the old coins I say they were good but I couldn't work out the money pound shillings and pence you know what's three pounds seventeen and sixpence halfpenny minus seven seven and threepence or something I can't do that twelve pennies to the shilling twenty shillings to a pound then there's a guinea, which was 21 shillings. I mean, it's all odd numbers, so decimal certainly makes sense. How could you work it all out with all these odd numbers? 12 shillings to a... No, 12 pennies to a, a shilling, wasn't it? Then there was a sixpence, a threepenny bit. You remember that? Two bob bit, half crown. They called the two bob bit a florin, didn't they? I never was quite sure what that was. Wasn't there a five shilling piece? What do they used to call a dollar? I know a dollar in America. What do they used to call a dollar here? Was it five bob? I can't remember. 30 bob? That was one pound ten shillings. All you oldies there are saying, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember when I was a boy. <laughs> Happy days. Now, I must be honest. I like the old money, but I much prefer the, the modern money now because it's so easy to work out, isn't it? Talking of blackjacks and other sweets, do you remember I was saying about people being fat and you're not allowed to use the word fat well you're allowed to use it but it's offensive I've had a few emails one in particular from Tamsin hello Tamsin she says she must be about my age when I was at school in the 60s all we did was eat sweets and I never got fat <laughs> I didn't Tamsin all I did was eat sweets I didn't get fat and she says they played netball they were uh, the skipping ropes do you remember the skipping in the playground was it salt, vinegar, mustard, pepper or something? The girls would, would all say in chorus, wouldn't they, as they're jumping on the skipping rope. It was activity all the time. After school, there's stuff going on. We're over the playground, the slides, the swings, the roundabouts. Kids back then, as Tamsin says, didn't sit down for five minutes. You'd sit down for your meal. Soon as that's finished, please might get down. Yeah, go on, clear off. And they're off again. I don't know where we got our energy from. I really don't. I, I was just non-stop as a child. So eating all those sweets didn't do my teeth much good, obviously, but I certainly didn't become, well, what can I say? Not fat. Oh, yeah, overweight, obese, <laughs> chubby. That's a nice word, isn't it? Chubby. I didn't get chubby at all. I was thin as a rake. Tamsin's uh, listed a few sweets. Aero, I remember that. Uh, what's this? Coffee, coffee crisp. I don't remember that. Toffo, yep. Nestle's Milky Bar, Smarties, Galaxy, Aero, uh, Cadbury's Nut Crisp, Kit Kat. Whole list here you've done. It's good. Treats. I remember treats. Turkish Delight after eight. Goodness me, you've you've gone to a lot of trouble making this list. Brazil Nut, Payne's Chocolate Peanuts. I remember those. Fries, Chocolate Cream, Aztec. <laughs> How many of you? Flake. Cadbury's Dairy Milk, Cadbury's Extra, I don't remember that one. Nux, I don't remember Nux. Anyway, thanks for that, Tamsin. <laughs> you take me back decades, lovely. 
Did you enjoy the midweek message? Slightly longer, I think it was about 10 minutes. That was especially for you, Susan. So I hope you all enjoyed that. I'll try and make the midweek message a little bit longer. I don't know why I started that, to be honest. I think it was just to say, what should we talk about next Sunday? And then you'd email your ideas and I'd kind of go from there. But it's become more than just a, what should we talk about next Sunday type of thing. Ray, nice to hear from you again. I say that because Ray emailed me and then apologised for sending me so many emails. Ray, that's nothing. Adrian in Scotland, you know who you are. Adrian used to send me full-length emails. I mean, they were like full-length novels. I did have one day, seven in one day, seven long emails, didn't I, Adrian? I hear from you now a couple of times a week, perhaps. But do you remember that seven in one day? I couldn't read them all. I love having your emails, raiserants at protonmail.com, but not seven full-length novel-type emails in one day. I just can't get around to answering them like that. I hope you're listening, Adrian, because they were massively long emails. And what I used to do was get the computer to read them to me because I just couldn't sit there hour after hour. So I'd get the computer to read the emails to me while I'm getting on with something else. Ah, oh, that was great. Anyway, hope you're listening, Adrian, and I hope everything's fine with you up in Scotland there. Heard from Mary the other day. Hello, Mary. Nice to hear from you. Uh, you like the idea of the, the letter from, the letter from England or whatever. As I said in my reply, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it. This was meant to be the first letter from England, but <laughs> I've sort of gone off at various tangents and I'm not sure how to do it. I think with the Alistair Cook letter from America, it was about 15 minutes long and it was in the form of a letter. So I don't know, maybe I'll do a separate one, perhaps once a month. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, great to hear from you, Mary. Thanks for that. Just do one more email while I'm looking through them. Melissa, hello. Melissa's just had a baby. Congratulations. And she's using obviously disposable nappies. Now, she says that she's heard me mention Terry nappies from the old days. What were they? Basically, imagine a towel about two feet square. Okay, just a piece of toweling. That's what they looked like. They were white and you had to wash them. Melissa goes on to say what were they and how were they washed? Yes, that's interesting. What you, I remember what my mum was doing wash them in the sink in the kitchen right to get most of the whatever off or the, in a bucket in fact I think she did it in a bucket first and then emptied the bucket down the toilet was that right it's a long time ago Melissa so I'm just trying to remember and what would happen then she'd wash them in the sink by hand and then in a special big saucepan I hasten to add not one that we cooked food in <laughs> she'd put the nappies in there and boil them on the gas cooker that we had and they would sit there in the kitchen on the cooker, bubbling away, boiling away like mad, stinking the entire house out until they were nice and clean. And then she'd hang them on the washing line in the garden. The whole thing was a real palaver. It really was. Whereas these days, well, as you know now, Melissa, all you do is plonk the baby on the thing, fold it over, stick the self-adhesive tabs on and baby is done <laughs> so look it up actually online melissa look up terry or what they terraline i think they were called terraline weren't they they were known as terry nappies i remember as a kid seeing people's washing lines miles and miles of terry nappies about two feet square looked like a white towel wherever you went wherever they had kids washing lines everywhere full of these nappies and in the winter on a very very icy day they would go solid because they were wet they'd freeze and you could actually snap them i did try that but all i succeeded in doing was bending it but apparently if it was cold enough you could snap the terraline nappy in half <laughs> i remember trying it and getting told off luckily i failed and it remained in one piece very often in the winter months the nappies would go on a clothes horse in front of a coal fire the open fire in the lounge for example. Who knows what a clothes horse is? Do you, Melissa? You know what a clothes horse is? With your new baby there and your disposable nappies? I bet you don't. It was a basically a wooden frame that opened out so you'd have each part sort of 90 degrees so it didn't fall over and it had wooden slats going across and you hang 
nappies or other clothes, anything, on the wooden bars, put it by the fire, and the heat of the fire would dry your washing. It was quite a good idea, and it worked well. You had to have a fire guard, though, uh, around the fire, you know, actually standing in the grate. It was a fine mesh guard. Or sometimes they had a, a bigger guard, which what was that called a child's a child guard or something that had a bigger, stronger mesh and it was a huge oblong type thing with a, a top. So if a child fell into it, he wouldn't go in the fire or she wouldn't go in the fire. <laughs> Happy days. And it had a top to it so they couldn't throw things into the fire like throwing over the top of the, the fire guard. We've got one now. We do use it. In the winter when we have a fire, if the young ones come round with their mums and dads, mind you, there aren't many young. Yes, there are. We've got one of six. We've got one of three. So we just put the fire guard round. So if they do happen to trip and fall over into the fire area, then they, well, they hurt themselves, of course, on the wire mesh. But that is better than being burnt in the fire. I think most people then had an open fire just about every house. So you can imagine the smoke. You go outside on a, a winter evening and you could smell it, sulphur from the coal. It was really thick. And that's down here on the coast. So imagine what it was like up in London. The pea super, as they called it. It's a pea super, meaning the atmosphere was as thick as pea soup. And of course, it killed a lot of people gave them all sorts of dreadful lung conditions and a lot of people died from the well the sulphur and whatever else is in the the fumes the exhaust from the fire all sorts of dreadful chemicals i've been talking for too long again i'm getting a rough sounding voice i know you're saying i know you've been talking for too long just go i don't want to bang on about this but just going back to letter from america again alistair cook in his day when he started i believe he started in the 40s no internet, no mobile phones, nothing like that, no television. Most people only had a radio, a wireless, as they called it. They didn't have anything else. There was nothing else. If you wanted to watch the news in the form of pictures, you had to go to the cinema and watch Pathé News. You've probably heard of Pathé News, black and white reels of film that were recorded abroad somewhere in the war somewhere and then shipped back here, developed and sent round the cinemas as 35mm film. So that was the only news you had on your radio at home or go to the cinema. Oh, newspapers, of course. So someone like Alistair Cook in America sending his letter, that was interesting news to people because he was talking about what was happening in America that wasn't necessarily in the news, so you didn't know about it. To do his letter from America today... I think would be somewhat pointless. It might be interesting, but it would be rather pointless because everything in the news, whether it happens in America around some back street or in a, I don't know, a little ghetto somewhere or in a main building, it's on the news. It's all over the internet. No matter what happens anywhere, in fact, in the world, we all know about it within seconds. Whereas in his day, it wasn't like that. I'm increasingly amazed as time goes by that there are still so many newspapers for sale. Obviously, if they weren't selling the papers, they wouldn't print them. So people are buying them all over the country, well, all over the world. There are newspapers everywhere. It's quite surprising because there's so much news now on your iPhone, your iPad, on the 24-hour news channels, on the television and on the radio. So it's quite amazing, really, that people still go out and buy a newspaper. It's a good thing that they do, because we don't really want to see the end of newspapers. I've never had a newspaper, any time of my life, never bought a newspaper. It's just not something I felt comfortable with. I don't know why. In the old days, I would listen to the radio and get my news that way, or the television. Newspapers, just I think they were, for me, too big and cumbersome, and they, they crease up and pages fall out and they get screwed up. I used to have issues, I suppose, issues with newspapers. I couldn't handle them. At school, we had long wooden poles. This is back in the 60s. And the newspaper was somehow clipped to the pole. So that was in the, in the hinge, if you like, the crease of the newspaper. So you could open the pages and this pole thing would keep it all straight or something. I don't know, again, I never looked at the newspapers. When I went into the library at school, 
I was looking for books on electricity and magnetism, exciting things like that, not what was going on in some far-flung corner of the world. I just popped out into the garden again for a breath of fresh air and I noticed the bluebells are coming up and I think daffodils by the look of it, a couple of inches tall coming out of the ground. Lovely, so spring is on the horizon. I do this every year. We get a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of warmth, even though it's January, and bulbs popping up from under the ground. And that's it. Spring's here. It's here. It's not here at all. Spring doesn't actually start. I think it's in March. And I believe summer begins in June. I don't know. I don't understand all that. Someone's got all that wrong, I think. We're coming up to the hour, so I shall end this soon. Thank goodness for that, you're thinking. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, and it's nice out there still. The sun's gone down a little bit. I have noticed the evenings are a lot lighter now. And the mornings, because, you know, I'm awake about sort of four o'clock, half four. The mornings are getting lighter. In the summer, daylight here starts at about four o'clock down to the south of England. It's about four o'clock. The sun is coming up. Half past four and it's daylight. I mustn't get too excited about all this. We're not even into February yet. We're probably going to have ice and snow and blizzard. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. It's now a new day and we've woken up to clouds, dull sky, overcast, doom and gloom. No, it's not that bad. It's 10 degrees centigrade. Not too bad. Just talking to a friend of mine on the radio and he said his wife the other day had to go to the dentist. She had to have a tooth taken out. They call it extraction these days, don't they? Not uh, ripping it out of your mouth, ripping out the gum, blood everywhere, spurt, gash. 300 pounds. Can you believe it? 300. A couple of years ago, I had a crown fitted. 600. It fell off. He stuck it back on. A bit later, it fell off. He put it on. The third time it fell off, he said, look, the tooth will have to come out. It's no good. So he took the tooth out. Extraction. 200, he said. Hang on, I said, I've spent 600 on the crown. Now you want 200 to take it out. 800 pounds I've spent on a tooth that I no longer have. And he said, oh, uh, yes, OK, a failed crown, we'll call it. So he didn't charge me that. But it had cost me 600 and I ended up with no tooth. <laughs> As my friend said, what do people do that can't afford it? 300 for a tooth out. Apparently his wife's tooth had split in half. I won't go into that. I hate teeth and dentists and all that. What do you do if you haven't got £300? I've heard that people pull them out or try to pull them out with pliers themselves. Isn't that awful in this day and age? If it was 1800 and something, fair enough, you try and pull your own tooth out. But surely not now, 2024. That's just not right, is it? What do you do in America? There we are, you listeners in America. What do you do if you haven't got any money and you need a tooth pulling out, an extraction? What do you do? Our National Health Service used to cover dentistry and it's very, very difficult, if not impossible these days, to find an NHS dentist. They're all private. I spent 2,000, do you remember? No, 2,400 two or three years ago on having work done. Struth. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money, isn't it? It seems that you can either, as you get older, keep your hair or keep your teeth. You can't have both. I've got loads of hair. I've got a massive mop of hair. No sign of balding at all. But half my teeth have gone. Well, probably not quite half. So you can't have all your teeth and all your hair. You, have, you can have one or the other. Let's end the episode on something a little bit brighter than dentists and all that pain and blood. All the equipment we've got now, all the technology, we've got the, the computer, internet, iPhone, iPad, flat screen, televisions, in-car entertainment, DAB radio, all the stuff we've got now, all the technology. It's incredible, isn't it? Imagine what it must have been like for a family in the 30s, 40s or 50s, where the, the dad, the father, the man of the house, brings home a radio a wireless and he sets it up and puts an aerial on it and you can actually hear the BBC Home Service, the light programme and whatever else is on there. That must have been amazing because they wouldn't have had a television 
As I said, to watch anything on the news, you've got to go to the cinema, watch Pathé News. No telly. All you've got is a newspaper at home. That is your only news. I mean, these days, Apple Watch, Fitbit Watch, news comes up on the watch, doesn't it? Back then, they had to go and buy a newspaper or word of mouth. You know, you'd meet someone in the pub. Have you heard about so-and-so? Oh, no, I didn't hear that. What's happened? Oh, yeah, over in New York, blah, blah, blah. Word gets around that way. Imagine the excitement for the family when that first radio came into the house. They'd never had a radio before. Certainly no television, probably no telephone. And it switched on and you can hear music. You can hear the news on the radio. That must have been incredible. I've often thought of that over the, the decades. That must have been quite an experience. It's great, isn't it, when you get your first iPhone or your first computer or whatever. Whereas now we think nothing of it. The whole lot is just, well, it's just normal. We've all got that. And the only time we really talk about it is if it goes wrong. <laughs> Computers are wonderful, aren't they? Until they go wrong, then they're a pain in the uh, neck. That's the word I'm looking for, pain in the neck. So that was just a thought to end the episode on. I thought that was rather nice. Thank you for listening. Uh, those of you who are still with me and haven't switched off halfway through, <laughs> I wonder how many of you actually listen to the very end. Endure. Look, it's over an hour. It's actually over an hour. Have you endured this? You're still with me? Stone the crows. Look after yourselves. Raise rants at protonmail.com. I will see you on Wednesday. Bye-bye for now.